All right, page seven, we're getting back into our First Peter series after a couple weeks off. Um, we are in chapter two, verses four through eight. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The word of the Lord. All right, I want to demonstrate uh, the theme of our passage and and, um, the thrust of the meaning of this passage uh, this evening with just two words. Uh, two words that um, I think, I, I, two words I'm going to say is going to get everybody's attention. Not just get everybody's attention, but um, 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 evoke emotion and, um, and different emotions, different opinions. It'll probably divide the room. That's how powerful these two words are. Just two words. That's all I got to say. Ready? Donald Trump. Done. You're angry, you're sad, you're happy, whatever, your heart's racing a little bit, a little awkward, all those different things. Just his name right now, this, this thing has become such a phenomenon that literally just saying his name can divide a room, can bring about differing passionate opinions. Some of you get excited when you hear it. Some of you get angry when you hear it. But nobody is ignoring his name right now. That's how preeminent this thing has become. This Trump phenomenon has become. You're going to find people in our country who are of the opinion that he's going to destroy our country. You will find people in our country who are of the opinion that he will save this country. But what you will not find is someone who does not have an opinion. And in a sense, we don't have a choice. And the reason why we don't have a choice is because... This whole thing has risen to the point of preeminence where it cannot be dismissed or ignored. It is as if an opinion on Donald Trump is demanded of all of us. As we return to 1 Peter, this is a good way to think about how Peter is presenting Jesus to us. Probably not blasphemous to compare Donald Trump and Jesus in that way, but the phenomenon, I suppose, of, of Jesus, that Jesus must be dealt with. Not just on a national scale, a cultural scale, but on a global scale, on a historical scale, you cannot ignore him. And so what he does, what Peter does here, is he sets up a contrast of two types of people uh, based upon what they do with Jesus. It's It's an interesting way, it's an interesting divide that he has here. He has two people in mind, and the way he divides them is, what do they do with this thing, Jesus? This, this, this enormous reality of Jesus. And I'm going to frame it that way. As those who stand on Jesus, verses 4 through 7, and those who stumble on Jesus, 7 and 8. So standing on the stone of Christ or stumbling on the stone of Christ. Let's explore these together. Standing on the stone 
of Christ. Verse 4, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God, chosen and precious. Uh, This imagery of uh, a stone that is rejected by men, but chosen of God is used many times in Scripture. It's a very, uh, very prominent image. And it's important for us to understand exactly what they're talking about, particularly in our passage. Um, In ancient architecture... The first stone that was laid uh, was, the, was the most important stone. It was, it was called the cornerstone or the foundation stone. And it was the most important thing in construction because essentially all the other stones uh, would be set in reference to it. So you set that cornerstone, it determines the position of the whole structure, it bears the weight of the whole structure. So builders were very meticulous in choosing the cornerstone of the building. And what they do is they would go through stone after stone and many stones were rejected until they found the perfect cornerstone. Well, Psalm 118 that we heard read by Emily predicts the coming of the Messiah and it does so by describing him as a stone that will be rejected but then will become the chief cornerstone of something greater. And that phrase, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, became associated very quickly with Jesus. And you can see why. Though rejected by man, cross, he is chosen by God, resurrection, as the foundation of a new world, a new humanity. So the apostles and the early Christians were familiar with that imagery, but, but Peter here then does something more. He kind of builds upon the imagery for the first time. And essentially what Peter's saying here is, if Jesus is the cornerstone, chosen, if Jesus is chosen by the great builder himself, the architect of all existence as the cornerstone of all existence, well then what are the stones that are being built upon that cornerstone? Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So it isn't just that those who trust in Christ have discovered a sure foundation upon which we stand and shall not be moved. That's true. But Peter expands the metaphor. And in expanding it, he expands the promise. We actually get engrafted into the architecture of God's house. Our lives become living stones being used by God the builder to construct a living temple. And Peter has the temple in mind, the Old Testament temple in mind, when he calls it a spiritual house. We know this because he goes into describing Uh, the functions of the temple. He says, you are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That's what happened at the temple. It's the home of the priests who offer these sacrifices. So he's talking here, there's no doubt he's talking here about the temple, and that has many, many, many implications uh, for for us uh, of what it means that we are now the holy temple of God on earth. That has so many implications, but I want to focus on one here because I think it's the one that Peter is really emphasizing. And it's the honor and glory of this imagery. What would come to mind when his audience imagined the stones of this temple? That you're these living stones of the new temple. Okay, well, what would come to their mind when they thought of the stones of the temple? 
Well, the temple was one of the most impressive sites in the ancient world. It was magnificent. It was this complex structure of huge stones, some as big as 45 feet wide and 12 feet tall and 12 feet deep. And these stones were sparkling white and decorated with gold, just beautiful stones. Uh, one ancient historian of the day said of the temple that it was like a mountain of marble and gold. And this speaks to the beauty and glory of this architecture. But it was more than that. The temple was much more than just a pretty building. It was literally seen as the house of God's presence on earth. It was seen as the resource of God's work in the world. In other words, nothing, biblically speaking, nothing was more glorious, honorable, precious, significant, celebrated, magnificent, and on and on I could go with the superlatives of how the temple is viewed biblically. And that's how Peter is describing those who trust in the stone of Jesus Christ. You are living stones of the living temple built upon Christ, meaning you are stunningly glorious. Verse 6, he reiterates it. For it stands in Scripture. He quotes something else. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. He's just, it's the same idea with another quotation, this time from Isaiah 28. That the cornerstone is chosen and precious, but it's not just the cornerstone is what Peter is trying to get us to see. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Or to state it positively, whoever believes in this cornerstone will likewise be chosen and precious. And then he sums it all up there in verse half of verse 7. So, the honor, the honor is for you who believe. So here, here is the promise that Peter's belaboring here. And it's really important for us. Jesus as our foundation means much more than we typically think it means. It is not just a promise of survival. It is a promise of glory. It is true. Um, as, the, as the hymn on Christ's solid rock I stand. It is true that He is this solid rock, and when all around my soul gives way, He then is my hope and stay. It is true, like in Christ alone says, that He is this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. All of those things are true. And that's how we typically think of it. Is when we think of Christ as our foundation, it's like, it's, it's like a survival mechanism. It's like the world's coming around, but I'm standing on the rock of Christ and I can survive. But it's actually more than that. Peter is saying much more. He's not talking about surviving. He's talking about flourishing. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, chosen and precious, honored and glorious, the foundation of God's magnificent temple. And then he's saying, now you exiles, who likewise have been rejected by the world, who likewise when the world looks at you see scorn and shame and rejection, you have become living stones, likewise honored and glorious, a part of God's magnificent living temple. You're not just surviving this world. You are the glory of the world. 
Is that how you view yourself? Christian. As honored, as noble, as precious, as glorious. Listen, I know the world doesn't see you that way, but I fear you don't see you that way. You're not just accepted by God. You are esteemed and glorious in His sight. You're not just tolerated in His sight. You are, as it says of the stone here, you are chosen and precious in His sight. It's not just that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's true and praise His name. But it's also that there is glory and honor in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what the world's opinion of you is. It doesn't matter really what your opinion of you is. It'll torture you, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. What matters is God's opinion of you, and God sees you. He sees glory on the same scale of Solomon's temple. If you want to know how glorious that is, to be a great reading for you. Go back and read his instructions in the Old Testament about the temple. It is lavish. It is bring out, spare no expenses. I want you to make this thing just beautiful and radiant and magnificent and glorious. And there's all these details and intricacies of how beautiful he wants his temple to be. And then internalize the thought that in the New Testament and the newer covenant, he says, you are those intricate, beautiful details of the holy temple. So the standing on the stone of Christ is not just a promise of survival. This is an honor. It is a promise of being honored of God. But then Peter transitions his imagery to another direction. You have verses 4 through really 7a there. And then the, 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 the conjunction there, the contrast there happens in the middle of 7. It says, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... Now let's look at stumbling on the stone of Christ. For those who do not believe in Christ, he quotes Psalm 118 that we've already heard read. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now it appears that he's just being redundant here, but he actually isn't. What he's emphasizing here is the has become part of the citation here. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now this is subtle, but very important. What he's saying here is, look, there's, there's no debate here. That's why Jesus is different from every famous um, polarizing figure like the Donald Trumps of the world because this debate has been settled. What will come of Donald Trump and his presidency? Who knows? And long after his presidency, history will still be debating it and people will still be arguing about him and all that stuff. But with Jesus, it's settled. It's not, is Jesus who he said he is? It's not, is Jesus Lord of creation and heaven and earth? It's not, is Jesus the cornerstone of all existence? Psalm 118 says, he has become the cornerstone. The debate has been settled. The world did not choose him. The world rejected him and killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Now deal with it, is essentially what he's saying. It happened. He is the cornerstone Deal with it. He is the immovable rock of existence that everyone must reckon with. And so what that little nuance there does is it, is it takes Jesus out of the arena of debate as if Jesus is in the dock for us to get to decide what we think of Jesus. 
It takes Jesus out of debate and He turns Him into a reckoning. He is this. So now it becomes, will you stand on the rock or will you be crushed by the rock? But either way, you will deal with this rock. And I do mean crushed. Verse 8, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Now don't let the word stumble fool you. To us that, that imagery brings to mind tripping and losing your balance or something like that, which is unpleasant but not devastating. Biblically, to stumble was to come to your own ruin. Isaiah 8, And many shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Psalm 27, When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who shall stumble and fall. So we're talking about devastation and destruction here. So just like the first point, where to stand on the stone of Christ is much more than merely surviving. It is to be honored by God. Well, here, to stumble on the stone of Christ is much more than stubbing your toe on Jesus. It is to be crushed by the stone. Look at that last phrase there in verse 8. It's haunting. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Don't read that with... Um, um, uh, we, we would tip, the word we destined to do typically um, has, especially in the Reformed Church, makes us run to like theo theological uh, things that we want to make with that. It, it's really not saying, he isn't saying they stumble because God predestined them to stumble. He is saying they stumble because they disobey the word. And if you disobey the word, then the destiny is you will always stumble. Um, contextually, the word here is the gospel of Jesus. Um, that's, that's when Peter, in, in, in Peter's epistles, when he talks about the word, often usually he's talking about the gospel. In chapter 1 and chapter 3, um, it says the word is the good news. So they stumble because they disobey. They reject the gospel. And they stumble because they're destined to stumble, meaning it's impossible not to stumble if you reject Jesus. It will lead to your destruction. It is the sure destiny of all who disobey the gospel to stumble. And indeed, this is true. Jesus will honor you or Jesus will crush you. But either way, you're going to have to deal with Jesus. Now, that's a big statement. And it raises the stakes here. It gets a little intense. There's a lot of stake. So we really need to wrestle with the application of whether we are standing or stumbling <laughs> on the stone of Christ. The passage frames the distinction with the language of belief. Verse 7, the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe. So his distinction when it comes to who's standing or who's stumbling on Jesus is who believes and who disbelieves. The problem with that in our context, and we continually come across this problem when it talks about faith and belief and all this stuff in Scripture is, the word means differently. And honestly, um, in a culture of easy believism where the majority say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, if nothing more than it's a cultural habit, then how can we discern true belief? In, in, in his culture, to believe in Jesus gets you persecuted. You lose, you lose family. You lose your life. So, if somebody says, I believe in Jesus in his culture, it's legit. <laughs> in our culture, who knows? How do you know? So how do we discern? How do we discern if we are standing or stumbling? 
Well, I think the best way to do this application to help us think through this is to return to the Gospels themselves and see for ourselves who stumbled on the rock of Christ. When you look at his life, when you read the Gospels, which we've been doing now for a few years, who despised him? Who fought him? Who debated him? Who abandoned him? Who rejected him? Our passage calls him a rock of offense. So who did Jesus offend? Well, that answer is summed up easily in two ways. Essentially, there are two categories of people offended by Jesus in the Gospels. Those who didn't want him to be his, their Lord and those who didn't want him to be their Savior. The Gospel of Jesus says two things to you. Jesus is your Lord and Jesus is your Savior. And both of those claims are offensive in different ways. You will stumble with those demands in different ways. Some people stumble on him because of his lordship. That is, that is his demands are just, they're just too outrageous. And they are. They are. I'm not going to water it down for you. You'll lose your family. You'll lose your money. You'll lose your dignity. You'll lose your control. You'll lose your power. You'll lose your autonomy. You may lose your life. You'll definitely lose your life. Metaphorically speaking, you will have to pick up your cross and follow him, meaning you're going to have to die to follow Jesus. And many there are who stumble over his lordship. When he presses in on you, on, on what I like to call your precious, to use tokens imagery, when he, presses in, when he presses in on your precious, the darling of your heart, the, the idol of your life, when he presses in and says, I have to have that, I'm going to have to replace that because my glory I will not give to another. I will not share your heart and your life with an idol. That's mine, and it has to die. When he does that, there are many who reject him because of his offense of his lordship because he will be lord of your life or he will not be in your life and many there be who stumble upon that demand still others reject him because he has to be savior this is why the Pharisees and Sadducees hated him so much because he just wasn't impressed by their religion and their virtue and he was a threat to their high view of themselves which they had formed by comparing themselves to everyone else and outperforming the morality of the culture around them and so what they found deeply offensive about Jesus is that he told them, I'm actually not that impressed. In fact, I'm disgusted. You're just as bad. You're just as evil as everyone else. And you need my salvation just like everyone else. And that was really hard for people. And it still is. You know, on the surface, you would think that his lordship demand is more difficult than his Savior demand. But actually, when you read the Gospel, it tells another story. If the Gospels are any indication, people will give up their control before they'll give up their pride. The most terrifying thing to us is to admit that we have failed. As parents, as children, as friends, that we have failed as human beings. Morally, we have failed. To admit that, to admit that we are just as bad as all those people in the world that we self-righteously look down upon, that's terrifying. But Jesus is uncompromising. 
and saying, I will be Savior of your life or I won't be in your life. So who stumbles on Jesus? He is a rock of offense. Who is offended by Jesus? Those offended by his demand to be either Lord or Savior. And remember, the guarantee from Peter in our passage here is that to do so will be your destruction. Every single person who chooses to be the Lord of their own life destroys themselves with their own lordship. Every time. And ultimately, eternally. And every single person who chooses to be savior of their own life destroys themselves with their inability to save themselves. Every time. And ultimately for eternity. You will... In the end, to use the language of the passage where he says those who trust in him will not be put to shame, you will, in the end, be very ashamed of that choice to not stand upon Jesus. But those who stand upon the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord shall never be put to shame. You will never be ashamed of that choice. What does it mean to stand? To be offended is, is, to be, is to reject Him, Lord and Savior. Well, what does it look like to stand? That's easy. It's the first phrase there, and it's really, really simple, beloved. As you come to Him. You're not offended by Him, you come to Him. Again and again in the Gospels, the antithesis of offense is coming to Jesus. You have people he offends and walk away from him, and then you have people who flock to him for just a touch, for just a word of healing, to just, for just a look, just to get to see him, just pressing in on him, coming to him. There's just always people coming to Jesus. And this is the picture of those who stand upon the rock of Christ they see in Jesus something they have not found anywhere else, a foundation upon which they can stand for which they will never be put to shame. A rock, a trust that they will never be ashamed of. It's time to come to him through the sacrament. Let me pray that God would help us. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, um, overwhelm us with the glory of being living stones, a part of your holy temple on the sure and steady cornerstone of Jesus Christ that will never fail. Show us your glory, and Lord, we dare pray that you would show us that we are glorious in your sight. Not just tolerated, not just surviving, but we are glorious. Lord, I pray that empty trusts would fail us quickly. And Lord, for those here this evening, and I know they're here, who are running from your lordship or running from your demand to be their savior, I pray they would relent. I pray they would stop it. I pray they would see finally how their trusts are failing them, how all other ground is sinking sand, and they would stand on the sure and steady rock of Jesus Christ. Bless us, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.